Well, all the, uh, the physical work that the team did in Mexico last month, the building the house for the Avia family, it, it would have been in vain if the foundation was not solid. So we took extra precautions when we were, when we were pouring the, the concrete slab to anchor the house. And we took extra precautions. We wanted to be as precise as precise as a bunch of amateurs could make it anyway. And approximately 25% of our time was spent just on that, just on that foundation. But the real foundation that we gave that family, the Avia family, the real anchor for them to rely upon for, for many, many years to follow was a Bible. It was a Bible in Spanish signed by the entire team. The Word of God, that's to be their foundation and ours as well. But why? Why has this church made it a priority for the past 45 years to be absolutely centered in the Word? Why is it that as the body of Christ we should be studying the Word of God both in and outside of the church? What is so special about this book compared to literally the millions of books out there that we could be reading? Well, first and foremost, we believe that it's the truth and it's inerrant meaning without any errors. It is flawless in all that it states. Psalm 12, 6, we read this. The words of the Lord are pure words, as silver tried in a furnace on the earth, refined seven times. Silver has to be refined over and over again to get absolute perfection. As psalmist says, when we read the word of God, they're pure like that. They're perfect. And Jesus prayed a a rather lengthy prayer in John chapter 17. And we read in verse 17 of that chapter, he says, Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. The word truth means reality. The way things really are. Truth is is not as you know what a culture defines it, a population determines something is. It's not even what we in this room perceive something to be. Truth is reality. God is. What God says is truth. Sin is what God says it is. Salvation is whatever God says salvation is. Heaven and hell is whatever God says it is. Whatever God says is truth because he cannot lie. The writer of Hebrews made that clear to us in in Hebrews 6.18 where he said it is impossible for God to lie. That means what it says and it says exactly what it means. And Paul reaffirmed that to us when he was writing to Titus in chapter 1, verse 2. He said, in the hopes of eternal life, which God, who cannot lie, promised long ages ago. There are some things that God cannot do. We, being imperfect, can misinterpret or not understand what we read, but God cannot contradict himself. It's impossible for God to lie because he is the God of truth, and his son is the son of truth. And his Holy Spirit is the Holy Spirit of truth. And the word is the word of truth. Therefore, since the word of God is truth, without any errors, it is absolutely powerful to change our lives. It's invincible, meaning it's incapable of being overcome or subdued. And it's so powerful that within the scriptures, there's many metaphors to try to help us understand this, to to try to help us put our arms around the invincible word of God. So today, we're going to look at just a few of them. And it's my prayer that we will fall in love with the word even to a, a deeper degree. And we'll come to a full realization that of when we open up this book and we hold it in our hands, or we look at it on our phone, 
or we, we look at it on a tablet, we'll, we'll just realize, even to a better degree, the, the treasure that we have and the power of the word to impact our life and others. So, the first metaphor we'll look at today is that the word of God is a sword that pierces. It's not a Q-tip. It's not a feather that tickles. It is a sword that pierces. Let's look at Hebrews 4, 12, and 13. For the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, and piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit, of both joints and marrow, and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are open and laid bare to the eyes of him with whom we have to do. Verse 12 helps us define the Bible. What is the Bible? Well, if you look at the first five words, for the word of God. The Bible is the word of God. It's a divine word. It's not the word of man. It's not the word of tradition handed down from generation to generation. It's not the word of society. It's not the word of of religion. It's the word of God. It has come down to us from above. It did not originate with the author of Hebrews. It did not originate on this earth. It came down from the throne room of God to us. The Bible is the word of God. And secondly, it says not only defining the Bible, not only is it the word of God, but it's living. It's living. That is to say, it's alive. It speaks to us this very hour. In fact, across the page, if you had your Bible open in Hebrews chapter 3, verse 7, it would say, just as the Holy Spirit says, present tense, not past tense, just as the Holy Spirit says, then the writer quotes Psalm 95, 7. This book is alive. And that's the emphasis made by the writer here. In the original language, the order of the words is this. Living for the word of God is. It's like he puts living in the position of most emphasis in this sentence. As if the author is trying trying to talk us into getting a yellow highlighter out. A giant yellow highlighter. And highlighting this word living. It should be jumping off of the page at us this morning. That this isn't just an ancient book. This isn't just an old book. It's alive, living. It speaks to us. And when we study it, we're studying the most relevant book of all times on the cutting edge of any issue that you might be facing in your life. Jesus said in John 6, 63, It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words... The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. Every other book that we pick up and read is in reality a dead book. Unless it contains the living word of God. And the relevancy of the Bible speaks to every age, every culture, to every person on every continent. It's far more up to date than the latest breaking news that might have broke one second ago. And three, we read, we go back to Hebrews, that it's active. It's living and it's active. That means it's at work. It's productive. It's full of energy, the word of God is, which is truth. It's never flat. I mean, this book is never tired. 
It's never listless. It's always active. It's always at work. It never needs to take a sabbatical. It never needs to take a day off. I'm so tired. It never gets tired. It's active. Now, there are times when I feel like I'm tired and I'm flat and I'm emotionally drained and physically drained, but not this book. And we've experienced it. The energy it brings us when we read and learn more about the awesome God we serve and the love he has for us. It's active, and it continues to work in our lives even after we're done reading and we put it down and move on to something else. It still works within us. And fourth, what is the Bible? It's sharper than any two-edged sword. There isn't, there isn't a weapon in any arsenal in the world that's sharper than the Word of God. There's not a surgeon's scalpel that would cut, that, that, that would compare to the, piercing, the, the sharpness of the Bible and its cutting power. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. In other words, it cuts both ways. There's not a blunt verse in the Bible. Every verse is razor sharp and can make a penetrating cut into the hearts of man, a two-edged sword. That's what this verse tells us the Bible is. But note what it does next. First of all, it's piercing. We see that in the middle of verse 12, that this book is so razor sharp that it pierces and it penetrates the defenses of of men and women as we put them up. It cuts through all the excuses we might hold up. And it pierces us, and it it plunges to the depth of our hearts, cuts to the core of the inner person, and gets to the bottom of one's life. You know, the majority of human messages we hear when we read in a book or we hear them on TV, they might make us feel good, warm and fuzzy, but they just kind of lay on the surface. But when we read the word, it penetrates It inflicts not only just like a flesh wound, but it goes deep to our heart, to the most vital organ, our heart. And note what else the Bible does. It judges. It judges. It's able, it's more than able to judge. Kritikos is the word used there, and it means to judge or critique. The scripture is able to critique perfectly our heart. It's able to judge the thoughts and intentions of our heart. Man, as you know, we look to the outward appearance. God looks to our heart. So it's the ministry of this sharp, two-edged sword that's able to penetrate and judge what, what no one else can see, what only you know about yourself, or maybe what has not even yet been made known to you but it will be re- soon will be revealed to you. <clears throat> the word of God gets so far down deep in our soul that it's able to judge our thoughts and intentions, the secret thoughts, the inner desires, the personal ambitions, the driving motives, the deepest attitudes are judged by the word. It's able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. That's how razor sharp the word of God is. Now, as we go to to verse 13, notice the first word, and. So it connects these two thoughts together. And there's no creature. So there's no one sitting here today. There's no family member of yours that isn't here today. There's no one in the whole world, no creature that's hidden from his sight. God is omniscient and knows all things and sees into the inner, inner thought life. So it says that no creature is hidden from his sight, but all things are open. 
open it. And in, it, and in this context, God sees to the inner heart long before we open up the word and it starts to pierce us and peel back the layers. God can see that before that even happens. The, the root word for the word that we translate open in the, in the original language is, is what they, uh, they also use for gymnasium. Because in the first century, the people in the, in the gymnasium, and, and often nowadays too if you go to the gym, they would strip down to the bare essentials so that when they exercise, they would have no restrictions. And they could get the ultimate exercise experience, I guess. The same word in our New Testament is often translated as naked. So the word of God strips us down. We're, lay, we're open. We're, we're laid naked before a holy God. And we're allowed to see ourselves for the very first time as he sees us. This word, this word that we read, it strips away all excuses. Right? There's no more, all cover-ups. We can't grab a fig leaf anymore to cover us up. The word of God exposes all this to God. And we're, the human soul is naked before him. And notice just the next few words, and laid bare. We're stripped down. We're laid bare before the piercing edge of the two-edged sword. The sword deals a death blow to our pride, to thinking we're self-sufficient, or to our self-righteousness. And finally, just to finish this verse, it lays us bare to whom we must answer to. To whom we have to do means to whom we must answer to, to give an account to. It's the word that establishes this direct accountability from us to God. And it cuts down to the person's soul, prompting us to realize that we need a Savior. We need a Savior. And that's why we read it daily. And that's why the church studies it together on Sunday morning. This is exactly what happened, by the way. Think back to Pentecost. This is exactly what happened on the day of Pentecost. As Peter unsheathed the two-edged sword and he wielded it, right? In Acts 2.37, it says, Now when they heard this, after Peter has said, Listen, you men of Judea, give heed to my words. This is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. And then he quotes Joel 2.28-32. And then he goes to Psalm 16.8-11. And then he goes to Psalm 134. And then back to Psalm 16.8-11. And then as a crescendo, he quotes Psalm 110, verse 1. Scripture, 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 Scripture. Making these thrusts into the hearts of men. And when they heard this, we read, they were pierced to the heart. The word means a stab as with a knife. That's why we're centered here on the word every Sunday morning. Not philosophy. Not political commentary, not a current event, not the latest curriculum on the internet, but the revelation from God to us. Let's pledge this morning to one another that we will not keep this sharp two-edged sword on a shelf, collecting dust, not being used. The weapons of our spiritual warfare are not of the flesh. Pick up the sword of the Spirit which is the word of God. Second, what is the word of God? It is a mirror that reveals. Once the heart is opened up and made bare before God, now the mirror of the word is held up. Let's read James 1, uh, 23. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks at his natural face in a mirror. For once he has looked at himself and gone away, he has immediately forgotten what kind of person he was. So James is likening a hearer of the word 
to looking in a mirror. So what does a mirror do? Well, a mirror gives you self-knowledge. A mirror enables you to see yourself who you truly are. A mirror tells it like it is, whether we like it or not. It gives a true reflection. A mirror reveals to us that, yes, this outfit does make me look a little fat, or, wow, my hairline is really receding, or, wow, my hair's all gone, right? The mirror reveals that, and we never really know ourselves until we read this word of God. The Bible gives us a very accurate picture of who we are and what we are and our dire need for grace. How many sermons have you heard Rick preach right from the word where you thought, boy, he is talking right to me? You know, I mean, has he been talking to my wife or something? Because he is like, he's, he probably hasn't been talking to your wife. But the word of God is like a mirror. It, it reveals yourself to yourself. I was, I was raised by a great mom and dad. And they were affirming and reassuring. And when I did something good, uh, trying to please them, uh, they were quick to praise. And that felt good. I thought, hey, I'm a pretty good kid. And I went to school. And the school teachers there always looked for ways to praise. And when they praised, they just kind of kept building a confidence within me. Like, hey, I'm okay. I'm a pretty good kid. And I played sports. And the coach, while surely they would critique us at times, they also praised. Again, building that confidence within me. Growing up, I had a lot of friends. So I thought to myself, kids like me. I'm a pretty good kid. I would get a good grade. That would also tell me I'm I'm doing great. I'm on the right path. It wasn't until I read this. It wasn't until I really studied this where I found out I'm not that good. Matter of fact, I'm pretty bad. Down here, you know, I'm pretty awful at times. It's a mirror. It reveals to us our condition prior to being born again. And that condition is one of separation from the God that we want to be with due to our sin and our behavior. Praise be to God that he has sent his son and he's reunited us back to him through the blood of his son. But nobody will be saved until they see themselves for who they are and what they are. And nobody will continually be sanctified once saved without continually looking into this. The perfect law of God. And seeing where there needs to be improvement in your life. And seeing where there needs to be repentance. And seeing where there needs to be a mid-course correction. It's a mirror that reveals. And through this, people see themselves and understand their need for grace. Their need for grace. And they come to Christ. Third, it's a sword. The word of God is a sword. The word of God is a mirror. But it's also a seed. In 1 Peter 1... Verse 23, reread, for you have been born again, not of a seed, which is perishable, but imperishable. That is through the living and enduring what? Word of God. We've been born again, made a new creature in Christ through his word. And this is birth from a seed that's not perishable. The word of God is not perishable. You know, the seed, the farmers, well, we all know the seed is a remarkable thing. It contains an embryo of the plant within it, right? It's capable of reproduction as it germinates. 
But a perishable seed can only reproduce life after its own kind, one that will also perish. I mean, an apple seed, if we plant it, is not going to spring up a new car out of the ground, right? An apple seed is going to produce an apple tree. This is the fundamental principle. Like produces like. But we're born again. Given eternal life by an imperishable seed, a supernatural life can only come from a supernatural seed. Eternal life only comes from a seed planted within us that's living, enduring, and never dies. In the parable of the sower, and as we read right here, Jesus taught that this seed, imperishable seed sown, is the word of God. The seed is living. The word is living. It's enduring. It never perishes, never dies. And Christ made sure we understood this in comforting the sisters of Lazarus in John eleven twenty five, We read Jesus saying to them, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live. That's eternal life. Will live even if he dies. It's by this inspired, inerrant word of God that the seed is planted, producing a new birth to eternal life that will never perish or die. So it's a sword, it's a mirror, it's seed, and finally, it is a milk, it is like milk that nourishes. Let's move to 1 Peter 2, verses 2 and 3. Like newborn babies, long for the pure milk of the word, so that by it you may grow grow in respect to salvation, if you have tasted the kindness of the Lord. So once we've been regenerated by the word of God. He talks about the spiritual growth here of a believer. He's writing to believers. And like a newborn baby who cries out. Now I know that as we mature in Christ, we want to get past the milk of scripture and to the meat of scripture. But in this case, as I look at this verse, I want to always be like a baby. And I hope you do too. I hope we all act like a baby in this regard. That we are craving, we're crying, we're longing for the word of God as a baby does for milk. That our dominant thirst is for the pure milk of the word as a baby's dominant thirst is for the pure milk of the mother. You know, babies are able to digest this milk before any other type of food and it gives them nutrients to grow. And so therefore the word gives us this milk nutrients for spiritual development. None of our spiritual development will advance past the intake of the word of God. Let's think about that for just a minute. None of our spiritual development will advance past the intake of the word of God. Now, none of us will live up to everything that we read in here, but we'll surely not advance past the measure of the milk that's flowing into us from this, causing us to grow. He gives the reason why at the end of verse 2, so that, it, so that by it, by the means of the word of God, you may grow in respect to your salvation. The word is to be taken in and digested. And it produces spiritual healthy bones, a pure heart, and a healthy immune system against spiritual diseases. Being in the word is absolutely essential for our sanctification process. So, the very beginning of the service, the, the psalm, the verses in that Psalm 119 I picked out started off with, how should a young man keep his way pure? Well, how should an old man 
keep his way pure? How should an old woman keep her way pure? How should a teenager keep their way pure? By treasuring this book and keeping it in our hearts. It's the word of God that's treasured in our hearts that helps us resist those temptations. So these are just a few of the metaphors that I, I picked out that I thought we would, we would look at today to help put in perspective the scriptures we look at and how we should treasure the holy scriptures and how blessed we are to have this word so available to us in the United States. That our loving Heavenly Father cares about us so deeply that he gave us this living word to speak to us this very day and this very hour in this place, Chatham, Illinois. He gave us this to speak to us and show us his love. You know, if God sent an angel right now and proclaimed that tomorrow morning, if we would be here at 5 o'clock in the morning to gather in praise and prayer, that he would show up and he would speak to us. Let's imagine that, that God, remember, who cannot lie, promised us that he would be here tomorrow morning at 5 o'clock. Who would be here? I think every one of us would be, wouldn't they? Wouldn't we? Every, if you had to go to work, I bet you would call in sick. If you had, for some reason, had a sports game, you would not go. We would all be here to hear from God, and we wouldn't sleep a wink tonight, would we? How is that any different than what we hold in our hands? You know, God has spoken. We have it recorded. Let's get up tomorrow, and let's read it and hear him speak. We finish each service with a verse from Psalm 119, which I read as you know, a few to start the service. We finish each of our services with Psalm 119, 105. And you guys can say it with me because I know, well, you say it every Sunday, so you don't have to. But your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. That's right. And we live, as you know, in a very, very dark world. And boy, it seems like it's becoming darker by the moment. There's so many dangers and perils and snares out there for us as we're traveling along the narrow path. And many travelers on that narrow path have discovered disaster on their way to glory. We need light to see our way, to see the turns in the road and dangers lurking in front of us. And as our closing psalm always states, the word of God is giving us this light for us travelers. It's a lamp. And it's not an option for just some of us, guys. It's a necessity for all of us. The light shines brightest in the darkest hour of the night, in our lives when we need it the most. This lamp of God's word will shine bright in our lives and the world when we proclaim it, cling to the light. And notice this, as you sing and as you leave on Sunday morning, it's a lamp unto my what? Feet. It's not a lamp unto my head. It's not just head knowledge. You know, it's not a lamp unto my heart or my arms. It's a lamp unto my feet. Right? It's not real until it affects the feet. What we learn, we must live and put into practice. It's the inerrant word of God that gives us this guidance in our lives. Well, this is the powerful, invincible, inerrant word of God, and I encourage you today to unsheath, unsheath the sword, 
to look in the mirror, to drink the milk, and to hold up the lamp of the word of God. As, as Rick mentioned a couple weeks ago, this is why every, if you want to call it mission statement, that this church has ever had is always centered around the word. That's why the word is dissected here from the pulpit every Sunday and preached. That's why we don't have a huge drama team and production or colored lights or just fanciness. Not that that's always bad in any situation. I'm not saying that at all. But I'm just saying we have chosen to absolutely focus and center on the word of God for what it does. We just need to open it up and let it live in our hearts. The invincible, powerful word of God. Let's stand and sing.